From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. Welcome to the program. I'm Rabina Ahmed Hawk, and this is For What It's Worth. Well, it has been an interesting couple of weeks. We got inflation data for the month of December, and as expected, headline inflation did go down. So those interest rate hikes that the Bank of Canada has been doing, some of them pretty aggressive, one percentage point at a time back in the summer, um, are starting to work. They're starting to ease their way into our economy. Uh, Prices are coming down and mainly it's gasoline prices that's dragging those costs lower and making life a little bit more affordable for Canadians. But if you drill down into those numbers, grocery costs remain persistently high. And these are specifically retail prices. So not what you're eating out at a restaurant or some fancy place that you're going to have dinner. This is everyday groceries that you go to the grocery store and buy for your family. All of those costs are going up 11% year over year. They remain persistently high because all of those pressures that we have been feeling during the pandemic are still there. Uh, Supply chain issues. Now there's the war in Ukraine that is really disrupting, especially wheat prices, which is making bread and other product bakery products more expensive. And there is still COVID-related restrictions, especially in China, that is slowing down the flow of goods. And that's translating into higher prices at the grocery store. We are going to talk to a financial blogger later in the program. She's going to talk to us about how she keeps her grocery costs down. She's been able to cut her grocery bill, get this, by $10,000, 10K she saves every year just by doing a little bit of planning, a little bit of strategy, and definitely making sure she doesn't waste anything and utilizing all the things that she has in her home and in the palm of her hand. Many apps that she uses, we're going to talk to her about just to organize her grocery shopping and also to make sure that she's getting the best price. So really looking forward to speaking to her. And I think it's going to be a conversation where you're going to walk away and say to yourself, I can put some of these things to use today. I can start saving money on my grocery bill today. And that's exactly what I want to do on this program for what it's worth is really give our listeners, information that they can put into practice right now. No one wants to go and take a one-year course to learn how to do anything anymore. Everyone wants to learn today. How can I make things happen? I need a hack, right? Everyone wants a hack. Here is a hack to learn how to save money on your groceries. Listen to this program. And later in the show, we'll have our financial blogger on talking to us how she cuts back on her groceries. And she doesn't sacrifice quality and she doesn't sacrifice nutrition. Her family still eats very, very well. Speaking of inflation, there is a new report, you're not going to be happy when you hear this, I'm just pre-warning you, by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives uh, that talks about where our inflation dollars are going. So we go into the grocery store and we spend X amount more on that basket of strawberries. Where is that money going? Why is those why are those prices higher? We know why they're higher, but who's profiting from inflation? Because the money has to go somewhere. It's not like some there's inflation is some magical place where money goes to and it just stays there and nobody profits. So this new report found that 41% of inflation went to profits. 34% went to hiring and increased wages because Canadians are starting to ask for higher and higher wages as they should as the cost of living goes up. And 25% of it went to other 
financial costs. So higher cost of borrowing and all those things that, that, that translate into higher prices at the grocery store or anywhere that we are paying more for stuff year over year. But get this, these profits were really focused on gas and oil, oil and gas rather, mining, finance and insurance. And so it's the big banks, it's the big oil companies, oil and gas companies that are profiting from us having to pay more because they're the ones profiting off of higher borrowing costs, right? Our mortgages are costing us more, more money going towards the banks. Uh, It's costing more to truck stuff across the country because of higher gasoline prices, even though they've come down, they're still quite a bit higher year over year. So that profit's going into oil and gas companies. It's going into big corporations. And what are they doing with that money? They are then profiting their shareholders or their executives, and they're getting bigger salaries. And so this is a really frustrating reality that inflation does lead to profits. And often those profits are felt by the individuals who are the last people that should be getting more money, right? It's the it's the, the little guys are still suffering the most. So this uh, report by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives really does break down where those where that money is going and tells me that I need to be more environmentally friendly. The more environmentally friendly I am, the less inflationary pressures I'm going to feel and the more money I'm going to save back into my pocket. We've got a fantastic show ahead. After we take this break, we are going to be talking to uh, an individual who's done some research into consumer behavior. We are all guilty of this. I want that product now. If I have to pay a delivery fee for my online purchase, I don't want it. We have become such picky online and in-person consumers. And they've done some research, his company, into what retailers need to do to manage this new kind of customer that's emerging out of the pandemic. I'm Rabina Ahmad Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Huck. I am guilty of this where I fill up my online shopping cart and then they charge me for delivery. I'm not paying $6.99 for my $300 purchase. And then I just click out of it. Or that item that was supposed to arrive in two days is now showing that it's going to be delayed because maybe there's high demand. I'm not buying that. I want it now. Consumer behavior has changed so much, especially in the last three years, because we're shopping so much more online. And retailers have really had to, this popular word during the pandemic, pivot and make sure that they're serving their customers uh, both online and in store. Because as we know, we are now back in the stores as well shopping. One of the frustrations I have is in store seems to have less products than online. I'm often told, oh, you could buy that online. Well, then why am I in the mall? There's so much to talk about when it comes to consumer behavior. And Soti has done some great research into what retailers need to do going forward uh, to serve their con- their consumers and really a new kind of consumer uh, in our new normal. Shash Anand is the Senior Vice President of Product Strategy for Soti. Welcome to the program, Shash. Hey, thanks for having me, Rubina. So your research really looked at, you know, what retailers need to do going forward to serve their customers. What are some of the, the personalized shopping features that customers are looking for, especially when they shop online? 
Yeah, so our survey found that 48% of Canadians prefer to shop with retailers who offer an experience based on their individual preferences. With concerns about inflation in mind, uh, retailers really need to ensure a smooth consumer experience both online and in person, as you kind of just mentioned. Just as consumers want visibility, choice, and real-time information about what they are buying, they want that same when it comes to when, where, and how their purchases get to them physically. So with delivery charges increasing and delivery options broadening, retailers really must carefully select that right delivery partner to fulfill those kind of heightened expectations that we've all now become accustomed to. And uh, I, th I think the days of waiting and hoping for deliveries to arrive are over. Consumers kind of demand more control over that delivery experience. And this really emphasizes the need kind of for more connected, seamless, and, and a digitized supply chain operation to help them improve the communication and that flow of the availability of goods and delivery methods. And it also kind of paves the way for retailers to add additional value to consumers in order to capitalize on the demand. Now, your research looked at some reasons where someone may not buy something online. Uh, I gave you some of examples right. of things that have discouraged me. Uh, a shipping fee, <laughs> which seems ridiculous because I'm spending $300. What's $7 on top of that? But that discouraged me. I mean, they could have just built that into the price of the product I was buying. Yeah. And if yeah. I'm not going to get it like tomorrow, I don't want it. I want it to be, a, I want it to arrive right away. I'll, I'll settle for another color or whatever it is in order to get my item right away. So tell me about some of the reasons that customers just may not buy a product online that retailers could learn from? Yeah, that's a great question. And when it comes to online shopping, both the purchasing and fulfillment processes are important to consumers. In fact, from the report, two thirds or 66% of the Canadian consumers expect to know where their order is at all times. And then over six and 10 continued shopping with brands that could deliver the goods the fastest. It was about 63%. So it's like what you said, right? It's not always just about the product, but about the delivery. 68% said delivery time and speed are still the most important to them, followed by returns with 57% stating they're more likely to shop from an online retailer that provides multiple options to return a product. So interestingly, consumers will turn away as, as you mentioned, from retailers that fall short on these expectations or they're unable to provide speed and visibility into the delivery and return process. And retailers that are providing access to the right technology to inform consumers of product availability, they can share accurate data on when the deliveries will arrive at home or in the store, while ensuring consumers kind of get the most value for their money, those are the retailers that are gonna win, win in the end. I know during the holidays, a lot of times I went into a store and they didn't have all the colors and sizes and then they would direct me to their online. Now, many of the stores mm. were really helpful. Like they would actually just do the online order for you. They would waive any shipping fee because they recognize that you were in store to buy it physically. Uh, but it has become, in, from my point of view, a bit frustrating that the the brick and mortar experience is now secondary to online. Is is that is that <laughs> true? Am I Am I making the right assessment? You're right. There has definitely been a challenge in delivering this kind of omni-channel experience and the online kind of because of the pandemic has really taken a kind of a higher priority. In fact, in our in our report, 
we actually conduct this report each year. So in 2022, we reported that 45% would rather shop online than in store. And moving one year forward, that actually that figure actually remains the same. And the the research, as you said, now people are starting to come into the stores. The research confirms that this is a there's a consistent leaning towards a hybrid shopping. And not just the complete shift towards online that was initially predicted. This is what was predicted is everyone's going to move to online. We don't even need to kind of do the brick and mortar. But the reality is retailers are now required to master, and I mean this in a really strong way, master both online and in-store experiences to ensure that their customers are able to find the products they want in a way that they would prefer to shop. And customers are becoming a lot more aware of the environmental impact of online shopping as well. I know I get really frustrated when a small yeah. product arrives in a ton of packaging and I have nothing, I can't do anything with that box or that bag except for recycle it, which is fine. But then it goes yeah. through that whole process again. Uh, you know, what role is, <clears throat> is climate change playing uh, for online orders? Because now I've become that person that goes to the mall, buys something and brings my own bag. And I feel like I'm doing good, but I'm still driving mm -hmm. there. Uh, there's they still have to hold a lot of inventory for me to look at so mm -hmm. but what role is climate change playing uh in all kinds of shopping experience whether it be retail or online so as canadian consumers become more conscious of their spending you're right carbon impact is becoming kind of a new deciding factor the report actually echoes this statement where more than half of consumers in canada around 58 percent agree that they prefer a more sustainable way to return goods and canada actually we did the global survey but canada actually ranks among the top uh, one of the top countries in the study and additionally 44 percent of respondents agree that they would prefer to shop with a retailer that offers carbon offset and more recyclable packaging. Uh, consumers are trying to adopt a sustainable mindset and then they expect retailers to implement sustainable options within their business as well. And what do businesses uh, stand to lose if they don't embrace this? Uh, I know at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about how if companies did not have an online presence, they basically were dead. Nobody could find them. Nobody could order from them mm -hmm. uh, before they used to just rely on sort of the, the Google reviews to get, get their <laughs> online presence going. But now they needed, you know, an actual website, an actual place to buy their product. What are, what are they losing now if in this new normal, they don't embrace that hybrid uh, retail in store retail and online retail model. Yeah, so retailers looking kind of for success in the Canadian market, they must break down the silos that exist currently today across the sales channels to ensure that there's a seamless consumer experience between online and in-store shopping. Uh, otherwise, these Canadians will just simply look elsewhere. And, and the complexity lies in creating the link between these channels on the back end which really can only be achieved by using technology uh, that unites every touch point. So give those store associates, give everybody that you possibly can some type of mobile touch point, like a mobile device so that they can provide real-time access. So when you combine the kind of the many channels of the these underlying technologies that consumers need to access when they're making purchasing decisions, um, the significance of the supply chain itself becomes even more important because retailers have to know what inventory is available to confirm orders, where they are, uh, what time frame they will be dispatched and delivered. So if they don't do this stuff, they risk losing the sales and brand loyalty. 
Now, your company is a global research company uh, looking at uh, all different types of trends and consumer behaviors. Um, what You talk about um, uh, consumers wanting personalized online experience. What does that mean? Uh, how, how, how can we personalize that? Um, so the personalized shopping experience, this can happen in a variety of different ways. There's clients, there's, sorry, there's uh, consumers that are really looking for hey, what are the flexibilities around delivery delivery options? So I don't mind doing a buy online, pick up in store. In fact, we've seen from the report, 34% of those consumers reported that they're okay to buy online and then pick up in the store. And that's kind of that hybrid model that they're looking for. That's one example of how I could be personalized. But then the delivery options giving me flexibility. What about knowing my name when I when I kind of enter the store or knowing my size when I'm online? These are just examples of personalized experiences. Or if I go into the store, maybe it's the, you know, the product's not available, but at least you know that I can get it delivered to me. At least there's some type of frictionless experience where I came to the store, um, but you can just deliver it to me uh, because it's currently not available, but it'll be available in two days rather than shopping online. 28% of those that don't find a product will actually just go to a new retailer every single time to find the product that they're looking for. So that loyalty is missed unless you have somebody that can tell you, hey, no problem, I'll give it to you later or something like that. Shosh, thank you so much. This has been such an interesting conversation about the way that we have just become more demanding as consumers that we, now we want, you know, we want the retailer to tell us what size I'm supposed to wear as if they're supposed to know how much I overate during the holidays. But, you know, I have to say that what they're pushing to me really does match what I'm, I, what I need. Uh, so, yeah. they, you know, whatever's going on, they are really pinpointing, uh, you know, what Rabina Ahmad Haq in this part of the world uh, needs mm -hmm. uh, for, for January, for February. Uh, so th it's really interesting, this research that your company uh, conducted. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're, we're finding a lot of information around these ideas of what, what are the mobile technologies that they can embrace to help them speed up their delivery, to help them reduce the cost, to really address those pain points. So thanks for that. That was Shosh Anand. He's the SVP or Senior Vice President of Product Strategy for Soti. And Soti is a provider of mobile and IoT management solutions, the Internet of Things. And they have more than 17,000 enterprise customers and millions of devices that they manage worldwide. And they did this research into consumer behavior and into what consumers want. And it sounds like we want a lot when it comes to our online and retail experience. And especially that personalized touch now is something that is expected when we do log on to our favorite store's website. We're expecting that they already know our size and they already know what we want, which I said, you know, in some cases that it's actually scary how well they're able to assess what it is that I'm looking for. When we come back, we're going to talk about something totally different, but still equally as scary food prices. We know that food inflation is higher than headline inflation and some items in there, red meat, dairy, vegetables are going up double digits year over year. One family in British Columbia has been able to cut their food costs by more than $10,000. And she says she doesn't sacrifice nutrition or quality. We're going to have a chat with her when we come back. I'm Rabina Ahmad Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk.
Inflation is coming down, but when you take a look at those numbers, food inflation continues to be persistently high. And these are costs most Canadian families cannot avoid. This year, it's expected that the average Canadian family of four is going to spend more than $16,000 on food alone. And this is average. Some of us are going to spend more than that in order to feed our families. It also depends on where you live in the country. Food inflation is impacting certain provinces more than others. One mother in British Columbia has been able to cut her food bill by 10 thousand dollars. She says she spends six thousand dollars a year on food and she buys all the things her family needs and wants. She doesn't sacrifice on the quality of food. She doesn't sacrifice on the nutrition. She's got two hungry teenagers. So she's got a big family to feed and she does it on six thousand dollars a year, well below the national average, even compared to last year when it was about $15,000 a year. I'm joined now by Chrissy Kay. She writes about money on her finance blog called Eat, Sleep, Breathe, FI. And she joins me now. Hi, Chrissy. Hi, Rubina. It's nice to chat with you. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the program because this is something that no matter where you are, whether it's a dinner party or at the grocery store or just having a conversation with you know a local parent, food costs tends to come up and how much more expensive it has become to just feed your family. Just go to the grocery store. Um, what is something that you do? The number one tip that you could give us that you do to just keep those costs down uh, when you do go grocery shopping? Yeah. So the number one tip that I would recommend people do is to shop around sales, plan your menu and plan your shopping around sales. But along with that, you also have to know what a real sale price is because uh, a lot of flyers, they will advertise something as a hot price. But if you don't actually know what a real hot price is, you may fall for that and think that you're getting a good deal. For instance, they may advertise chicken legs for $2.99 a pound. But I know because I track the prices that $1.99 a pound is actually a good deal. And often you can get even less than that. So if you're paying $2.99 a pound thinking you're getting a good deal, you're actually being a little bit tricked by these stores. Yeah, because you see these red and yellow labels and myself, I get excited because it looks like it's on clearance or the lowest price you could possibly get. So how do you organize, you know, making sure you know where the lowest price is on chicken legs, on the cereal your family mm -hmm. eats, uh, milk, whatever it is that you bring home? Yeah. So at first, when you're learning how to do this, it's really hard because you don't have it in, in your brain. It's not really memorized yet. And so uh, I still actually, even though I know a lot of prices by heart now, I use an app. Uh, it's a free app. It's called Our, Our Groceries. And I believe it's on Android and iPhones. But uh, what it does is uh, it allows you to sort uh, your store into different categories so that you organize it by aisle. And then you you insert all the items that you usually shop for. And what I do is it, there's a function where you can add a note for each item that you add. And so I add a note for the lowest price I find for that item. And I update it whenever I see a lower price. And so anytime I see a sale, I just go to my app, I enter the item, and then I check, is this a good price? Is this the best price I've seen? And if it's not, then I wait it out until it comes on sale for that lowest price again. Or if I really have to, I'll buy just a small quantity of it at a slightly more expensive price. And then, then I can wait until the sale comes and I stock up. 
It's really about being an informed consumer. So even if you know you're paying more uh, than you than you could get at that lowest price, you buy with that mindfulness. So I'm only going to buy what I need for tonight because I really feel like having this dish, uh, but I'm not going to buy a you know a, a large amount because it's not actually the lowest price that's available. Have you had to 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 redo your list in the last few months because prices have changed so much? And that you know last price that lowest price that would have been common a year ago is just not available today? Uh, I would have to say very minimally. Uh, the most we've had to do really is to wait longer for certain sales. And a few items we have had to buy at a slightly higher price. For instance, I found that pasta, dry pasta, hasn't been going back down to the prices they were pre-pandemic and pre all these supply chain issues. But for the most part, if as long as you're patient and you can wait, things have still been dropping down to prices that have been as low as in 2019 or even 2018. So paint me a picture of what it's like before you go grocery shopping. What are you doing proactively to make sure that you're getting the best value when you're at the grocery store and you're also bringing home the items uh, that you actually need? Mm -hmm. So we start every week by going into flip. Thursdays is, are usually the day when a lot of stores have start their sales for the week. But you, if, if you do it once a week, it doesn't really matter as long as you're consistently using around the same day of the week and you're aware of when sales start. So we use an app called Flip and there are other ones out there. But Flip is like a flyer aggregator. It collects all the flyers in Canada and you can look through them to find uh, your favorite stores and then check what's on sale at each store. We tend to go to Superstore because it usually has the lowest prices, both on sale and regular uh, priced items. So that's where we start. And if we don't find anything good on sale at Superstore, then we'll move on to the other stores that we like shopping at. And then if there's nothing at any of the stores that's interesting or good for sale, then we shop through our freezer. Because what we do is when things are on sale, we will stock up and we'll either save the items in our pantry or in our freezer if it's meat and things that are perishable. And so uh, that's how we get around waiting for sales. If there's nothing on sale, we're able to use the backups that are in our freezer. And then um, once we find what's on sale, then we build our menu around that. So uh, I, we used to do it backwards where we would shop for what we wanted to make. But now we're getting more savvy and we build our menu around what's on sale rather than just what we feel like making, whether it's on sale or not. Some people, you know, will listen to this and say, this sounds like a lot of time. I just don't have it. I don't have, you know, five minutes in the day to sit down and think about anything other than whatever it is that's going on. What do you say to them? How much time does this take to, to make, you know, an inventory of the stuff you've got in the freezer and, and, and make sure that you're checking all the flyers and, and going to the right stores? Uh, and, and is it worth it? Well, I would say it's worth it because, uh, as you said, uh, we save about $10,000 a year compared to the average Canadian family. And we don't sacrifice anything to eat this way. We eat really well. So I think your time is very well worth it to to take the time to sit down and organize your shopping and your meal planning. And so the time it takes, I would say it takes us about one to two hours per week to look through the flyers and then plan our menu. And then daily, it probably takes, I don't know, 10 minutes to review what's coming up in our menu, what we're going to cook for the day, and then just keeping our fridge organized. Maybe that's another 10 minutes. So it's not a ton of time, but yes, it does take some uh, organization and some planning ahead. But once you get used to it and you fall into a rhythm, you get faster and faster at it. 
Yeah, two hours doesn't seem like a lot of time when you think about the thousands of dollars in savings. I mean, that's a trip or uh, a little renovation in the house or brand new mm -hmm. furniture. I mean, it actually does translate to things that improve your life if you are able to save that kind of uh, substantial amount of money, especially if you do it over many, many years and then invest it on top of that. I wanted to talk a little bit, I know we're talking about food, but uh, Chrissy, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about how you've been able to retire early because of these good habits. Talk to me a little bit about how it's been for you being in early retirement and and how these habits contributed to to you being able to do that well thank you yes uh it's been quite a journey for us it's i'm part of a community called the fire community it stands for financial independence retire early and in the community, we really talk about uh, spending with your values. It's not so much saving as hard as you can or being extremely frugal and miserable. In fact, we say if you, you're miserable, you're actually doing it wrong. You're cutting back too much or on things that you actually value. And so we really focus on thinking about the things that you really enjoy spending on and then cutting back on all the things that don't really matter. Things like home insurance, car insurance. Uh, you can cut back and find the cheapest price for things like that, your internet, without losing any of the uh, standard of living that you're used to. You're still getting good services and what you need, but you're just paying way, way less for them. And so that's one of the things that we talk about. And something like cutting back on your groceries, it really makes a huge difference. And as I said, we haven't suffered at all. We eat really well. We eat everything we want. And we just happen to spend less because we're more strategic about our shopping and how we plan our menu. Yeah. And uh, like you said, these are things that do nothing uh, they don't uh, cut back on lifestyle at all. It's just uh, you've got more money in your pocket by being, you know, energy efficient in your home, by making sure that you don't have subscriptions to items that you're, you know, that we're all guilty of having apps or streaming services that we're no longer really using. Uh, get rid of those and save some money. Uh, it, those micro savings really do add up over time. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, before we go, about fridge management, because this is something that I found really fascinating uh, when I read your, when I read all your tips about how we can save money once we bring that food home. Yes, this is something that a lot of people don't pay attention to, but food waste is actually one of the ways that your grocery costs can go way up. My family and I, we hardly waste anything, even right down to chicken bones. You know, we will use them and make stock and I'll even cook them soft enough to give some to our dog just when it's powder, you know, so soft that that is not a choking hazard. But uh, yeah, so using your fridge properly, I think it's something most people don't know about, but there are lots of really, really easy things you can do. One, one number one tip is a lot of people say my fridge is broken. My food's not cooling anymore. It's just not getting cold the way it used to. And almost every single time it's because your fridge is dirty on um, in the back where the condenser is. And so you'd be shocked if you pull out your fridge and you clean up that area, you, you'll be just stunned how disgusting it is. It's just cover it with dust. And uh, it, all you have to do is use a little paintbrush, an old paintbrush, vacuum it out, and you'll be amazed by how much better your fridge works after doing that. So that's my number one tip to make sure your fridge is cooling properly, because if it's not in the right temperature zone, your food will spoil a lot quicker. And you may not realize it, like, why is my lettuce going bad after one or two days and my meat not keeping as long as it, it should? And that's often why, because your fridge is not in the right zone. And another thing that you can do is to buy a really cheap 
fridge thermometer so that you can monitor the temperature in your fridge. I think it should be between around four degrees is the optimal temperature, but a lot of our fridges, they actually don't have a very good thermostat. And so it, you may be thinking that's cold enough, but not realizing that's not actually in the food safe zone. So that's another tip. And the third tip I can uh, offer is to know your fridge's zones. So this is another thing most people don't know in that your fridge has different zones. For instance, the back in on the bottom shelf is the coolest area. Oftentimes things will even freeze there because that cold air tends to drop. And so that area is the coolest, whereas the door in the front is always opened. It's closest to the outside. And so that part tends to be the warmest. And so you have to be strategic about where you put your food. So meat and, and dairy probably should go further in the back near the bottom. And then things like sauces and water doesn't really matter. You can keep those in the door. And so those are just some tips that are super easy, but it could save you a ton of money because you're not wasting food all the time. Chrissy, you are a genius when it comes to saving money on groceries. I know that our listeners are going to take these tips uh, and put them to good use because it doesn't make any difference. It just puts cash back in your pocket. Thank you so much for joining us today and, uh, and giving us uh, some insight on how we can save money on our grocery bill. You're very welcome. I hope it inspires some Canadians to uh, do a little bit more with their groceries so they can save a lot of money. That's Chrissy Kay. She blogs about money on her finance blog at Eat, Sleep, Breathe FI, where she has detailed how she saves more than $10,000 on groceries every year. And with inflation high, with food inflation persistently high, she had some great points. Food, uh, fridge management, uh, making sure you know your lowest price. I'm guilty of this. Where I go into a store, I see a red or yellow label. I think I'm getting a great deal, but am I? So really knowing your prices, stocking up when it makes sense, not buying too much if you know you're paying that little bit extra, but you need it for whatever reason. These are all these micro savings that we can do over time that can save, in Chrissy's case, $10,000 a year. Really interesting conversation and really glad that Chrissy was able to join us with that at a time where so many families are stressed about their grocery costs. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to talk to you about the things to think about before you lend money to a family member and also to think about when a family member lends money to you. These no strings attached money sometimes comes with a lot of strings attached. You got to think about it before you go into business with your loved ones. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed Huck. When I was in university, I rang up a credit card bill that was $6,000. Don't ask me how or why a credit card company would give a young person in university that high of a limit, but I was able to do it. And one day, my dad opened up my credit card statement. I don't think he did it by purpose. I think because the mail went to their, my parents' house, they, he opened it up and realized how much debt I was in and how I was only making minimum or just above the minimum payments. And that meant it was going to take years, if not decades, to pay that massive bill down. So that night he said to me, I accidentally opened up your credit card statement and I realized that you're in this much debt. I'm going to clear this debt for you because I cannot stand that you are paying these credit card companies 19, 20, 21% interest and you're never going to get out of debt in what you're doing. And at the time, I did feel relief 
because it had weight on me, this credit card bill that I balanced that I hadn't paid off and how I was going to move forward and do other things. And friends were going away on vacation. I couldn't do it because I, I literally had no room on my credit card. People were doing stuff with their lives and I couldn't afford to do it. So at that time, it felt like the right idea, right? Taking money from my dad and paying this bill off. It was that transitionary year where you're you're just finished school and now you start working. But you know, as journalists, we're never really full-time working. We're kind of freelance in the beginning. So I was working, but I was just, I just finished my student life. So all that debt was from student life. That's that's kind of the message I'm trying to give. So I just didn't know how I was going to pay that off. But I did notice that it did hinder my uh, relationship with my dad a little bit because I felt like I was being treated like a child after I'd paid the bill off. I was really thankful. I have to, I have to say that even now I'm, I'm quite thankful that he did that. And it took me so long to pay him back because I sort of didn't take it seriously. I thought, well, you know, I'll pay him back when I can. Now, my dad being my dad did keep on me to pay that money back. And sometimes it did become a point of contention where he would see me spending money on other things. And he'd say, well, you still owe me $6,000 or maybe $5,500 or whatever it was. And you're going out with your friends for dinner and you're planning this holiday and you're doing other things, you know, typical kind of irresponsible things that we tend to do when we first start making a little bit of money in our full-time jobs or our, our jobs when we become adults. And so it's really important when you are borrowing money from a family member, from a friend, that you think about how that relationship is going to change. The first thing you want to think about is how badly do you need this money? right? Is there another source that you could go to to pay that debt off that would, would spare you from having to have that conversation with a family member? Uh, because desperation is a reason that you may want to borrow money from a family member, right? You're so desperate to get this paid down. You're willing to put up with their comments and them hounding you with me. I lived with my parents at that point. So I constantly was reminded of how much money I owed them. And it was it was a bit frustrating. And even though this is a family transaction, right? It's, 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 it's from somebody who loves and cares about you. Write it down. Write down how much they're lending you. Write down what the expectation is when it comes to payments. So first of the month, you're going to pay X amount or every time you get paid, whatever the situation is. And be very clear about that with the person that you're borrowing money from, that this is how you're going to pay it off so that they can't come back to you and be uh, snarky about, ah, you're spending money here, but you haven't paid me. Well, I've made my payment for this month. I'm allowed to spend this money. So it kind of keeps that relationship clean and uh, without that, those arguments, because it's very clear how you're going to get that money paid down. And then also if you're the lender, so if you're the one getting somebody out of debt or lending them money for a project they need to do or an investment they want to make, whatever it is, um, if they don't pay you back, you have to reconcile in your mind before this happens how you're going to deal with that. So say someone comes to you and says, I want to borrow $10,000 because um, I want to buy this car and I need a car to get to my job. Okay, fine. So you lend your relative $10,000. Now you have to imagine that they're not able to pay you back and they're still driving the car and they're still doing whatever they need to do. How are you going to manage that? Because you have no legal right. I guess maybe that piece of paper that you work out the payment may have hold something, but you know, who wants to take their family members to court? You have to think about how you're going to manage that if they don't pay you back. Because especially when it's a, a relationship where it's an older relative, like a mom and dad and a child or a grandchild, then it, it can get that, you know, that younger person, like I said, I didn't really feel 
obligated. Well, I felt obligated. I didn't feel pressure to pay my dad back. So think about how you would do that. So it's been months. You haven't seen a payment. What? How are you going to approach them and make sure that you're getting the money uh, that, that you are owed? Um, and if it feels like a situation that's just going to get worse, for example, if you've already bailed them out once and they're coming to you again, or if the money they want to borrow from you is for something you just don't believe in, maybe it's a business they want to start that you think is not a very good business plan, or they need to pay somebody else back because they borrowed money from them, then you can say no. But just know that you have to say it in a way that's not going to taint that relationship. And I know that it's an unfair thing to put on the person who's being asked because no one asked you to be asked, right? You didn't put your hand up and say, someone, please ask me to lend the money. Someone came to you and if you can't do it, then you've got to find a way to say it to them so it's not going to ruin that relationship. And my best advice is say you can't afford it. Say you can't afford it. Say, you know, I understand that you need this money but I can't afford to lend it to you right now. You're going to have to find someone else. I think that is a really good way to just put a roadblock between you and that person when it comes to them asking you for money. Because if you can't afford it, why would they put you out? Because they obviously can't afford their life and that's why they're asking for money. So just something to think about when you are either asking for money from a family member or lending money to a family member, that it is a much different situation when you borrow money from a bank or from another financial institution, uh, that it is not the same kind of relationship and that it can sour relationships if uh, either party is not satisfied with the outcome. I'm Rabina Ahmed-Hawk. Thank you so much for listening today. So much great information. Uh, go out and rearrange your fridge right now. Make it Find the zones where all the food should be so at least your food has a chance of staying fresh longer. And hopefully that's going to save you a little bit of money. We'll talk to you next week at this time.